It is Thursday, January 6th. Welcome to episode 191 of Menace to Sports. I am Zach Smith, your host. What an episode we have for you today. A bunch of coaching changes, coaching newses, newses. That's a new word. Coaching news and a bunch of uh, bunch of stuff going on at Ohio State. Greg Stadrawa is out as the offensive line coach at Ohio State, as I told you would be the case a month ago after the Michigan game. Um, I, I, I don't want to sound conceited and cocky when I try to tell you I told you so, but I'm hoping that you guys text five friends and be like, yo, you got to listen to this show. Like he... Like he's telling you what's going to happen before it happens. And and then when I'm wrong a bunch, I'll just take my losses. But Greg Sidrow is out. And uh, I'm going to talk about, you know, obviously I've, I've made the comment that Justin Fry will be Ryan's first phone call. And now I'm seeing all over social media. It's like, well, uh, rumor has it that Justin Fry will replace him or is the leading candidate. Or um, there's a lot of smoke to Justin Fry. Like, keep in mind. None of these sons of bitches wouldn't have any idea who Justin Fry is or that he would be a candidate if it wasn't for me talking about it. I mean, maybe after they did some deep dive research at some O-line coaches he worked with in his career, but no one would, would connect those dots. And I'm telling you that that is the first phone call that was made back, you know, early December or, uh, after after the Michigan loss, when Ryan decided that it was time for Stud to move on, and I want to talk about it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna open the show with it once we get to the show, and talk about why Justin Fry, right? Because people are like, oh, looking up Rivals.com recruiting rankings and shit like that. Like, it, I'm gonna tell you why. So we're gonna talk about that. Also, uh, DJ Durkin to A and M. We'll talk about that. Marcus Williamson now is continuing down this path of self destruction after completely avoiding coming on this show, and so tweet at him. I'm just I'm challenging you right now. It's tweet at Marcus Williamson and say, Marcus, you want to air out your, you want to tell your story. You want to institute change. You want to create change, right? If there was such a bad thing going on at Ohio State and you want to fix it, tell him to come on the show. Cause real, I mean, you, you got to back that shit up. You talk that shit, you got to back that shit up. And I, you know, I'm a pro Marcus Williamson guy. So this is not, I, I, I certainly wouldn't bring him on and berate him and, and tell, call him a liar or anything like that. I mean, I like Marcus, and I've said that before. So tweet at him right now. You need, Say, we need to hear you on at Menace to Sports. And we'll retweet it, and we'll keep it going because he will not stop. Um, and then we're going to talk about the semifinal games that we haven't really talked about yet. It's going to be a little bit shorter show, going to be more conversational. I, I canceled all the ads on this episode just to give you kind of more of a raw, real, uh, I don't know, uncut talk. I guess we're going to talk a little bit about college football and about Ohio State. The only thing I do want to mention, uh, and this is not an ad, but we have our squares for charity, right? We, we, we raised $82,000 in 2020. I'm trying to go over hundred grand in 2021. Hopefully we can make that happen. Got some big things planned with some big, big names that I'm going to be really excited to announce. Um, I got a lot of stuff going right now. A lot of, uh, what do they call them, pokers in the fire. Uh, a lot of things going on right now, but our big board, our big board for the national championship game, for $100, you get a square, right? That square will give you a single digit for the winning score, a single digit for the losing score. It's a little chart, right? If the if the score, the last digit of the score, the winning, winning score and losing score is your square, you win, right? $100 to play. If it's the first quarter, you get 500 bucks. That's your winning. If it's halftime, you get $1,000. If it's the third quarter, you get $500. And if your square hits for the final score, we're going to send you $3,000. So come play with us. And, and like I've mentioned on the morning show, if you lose, 
you donated a hundred dollars to charity, right? You donated a hundred dollars to the Zone Six Fund, so it's a really a win-win if if you feel like giving back in the new year, twenty twenty-two, new year, new you. Come help us raise money at Menace to Sports. We are doing some big things, and I think I've got probably another week before I can really announce some of the the Zone Six stuff we're doing. I'm trying to finalize it now. It's a shitload of work, man. I had no idea. I mean, I, I took it on as a small project kind of to give back to a kid or two and it exploded i mean all the money raised it's it's taken me more time than i anticipated because we're trying to do it on a larger scale but no excuses got to get the job done and and this is what i wanted anyways i wanted it to be huge i wanted to impact more kids so got to get it done so i'm excited about that um so that's all i got for you if you're into gambling check out menace to picks give them a follow on twitter i'm not going to bore you with all the details but killed it in december and and going strong in january so go check them out at menace to picks on twitter but enough about that let's get to the show what a hit denzel lord you got barbecue back there and you didn't invite me You'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting. I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. Braxton Miller's loose spin move. Miller heading for the end zone. You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. He'll run it after the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Lucky for me, the press can barely speak English. But they are who we thought they were. Well, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Well, then get the fuck out of here then. Okay, see ya. All right, let's talk about it. Ohio State has an offensive line job open. Crazy to me that no one on the defensive side of the ball other than Matt Barnes has been uh, announced that they have been released or is taking another job. Uh, Because honestly, I I think Stud is a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach. Um, I think he's a good coach. And and I don't think on the prioritized list of positions that were problematic. I certainly don't think Greg Stradrawa's offensive line is the second most important change this offseason. I do think this change will yield some greater results for the offense, right? But I think that the the corner position was drastically underdeveloped and under-recruited, right? Let's talk about recruiting too. I think the defensive side of the ball outside of the defensive line, Larry Johnson, he is he is locked and sealed, right? His now, don't get me wrong. The defensive line did not do a great job getting pass rush, but I mean, that that's neither here nor there. Larry Johnson did a great job. He does a phenomenal job in recruiting. I look at it like this. What position coaches are recruiting at a nationally elite level, right? Brian Hartline, fucking absolutely. I mean, absurdly recruiting at a high level. Corey Dennis, he's got one job. Make sure Ohio State has a Heisman-worthy quarterback. How's he doing? How's, I, that's an A-plus, right? C.J. Stroud, A-plus. He got brought in Kyle McCord, Quinn Ewers, and now he signed this kid out of uh, uh, out of Arizona or wherever he is. I, I'm sorry, Utah, I think. Um, and and that's, that's a great player. I watch I watched some of his uh, highlights in the Army All-American game. He's going to he's an extremely talented arm. So Corey Dennis, check. Tony Alford, I don't know how's Travion Henderson doing. Mayan Williams, check, check, check. Right, the guy also recruited J.K. Dobbins. Ohio State has had an, a Pretty elite back outside of the one year Master Teague was there because Tony missed on like one class. So Tony Alford, A plus, right? Kevin Wilson, 
A plus up until now with the tight end position, but he's doing a great, I mean, he's in charge of the whole offense and it's impossible to recruit a tight end when you don't throw Jeremy Ruckert the ball. So uh, I'd say that's a B, let's call that a B. So offensive side of the ball, I'd say all those names, great, great Strawa, he has not brought in elite offensive line talent outside of Dewan Jones, um, Paris Johnson for sure. That's two surefire first-round draft picks. And, and he has brought him in. But you got to understand something. There's 15 O-linemen usually on scholarship. So if he has five great ones, you got to look at that next group. Like how, how careful do they have to be with the starting offensive line? Do they have a sixth, seventh, maybe even an eighth lineman? That being said, I, I'm not here for all the stud slander because he took over a group that was pathetically recruited by Ed Warner. Pathetically. And, and Stud flipped the script. He improved, like, they, you always ask somebody, right? When you take a job and then when you eventually leave the job, did you leave that job, that situation, better than when you found it? I think about my career at Ohio State. I came in and the Ohio State room was, I mean, it was awful. Like, they, they had four, the leading receiver had 14 catches the year before. It was just a, it was just an, a depleted room, right? We had four kids that could play. Four total out of 12. It was awful. So I feel like I did a phenomenal job at Ohio State because we won, my kids were successful, they play in the NFL, and when Brian Hartline took that room over, he was handed a pot of gold, right? That, that was my job, to make sure that the guy that followed me took over an unbelievable situation, right? And that's what Stud has done. So let's give credit where credit's due. I understand everyone wants to jump on a Stud's fired, he must suck, he didn't suck, right? I think he could have coached them better, but whoever walks in that room right now is walking into a room that is a phenomenal situation. I can't imagine the offensive line coach walking in the room and looking at Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. Holy shit. I mean, they they might get a little hard on, a professional hard on, not, not anything weird. I mean, it's just, I can't imagine it. Walking into a room and seeing two first-round tackles like looking right at you. That, 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 that is not how it is everywhere. So congrats to Stud, did a great job. Obviously, the development and, and the coaching side of it were not up to par for Ryan Day, and I could see it on the field. I mean, they they struggle. the offensive line struggled with things they should have never struggled with. As talented as Paris Johnson is, as talented as Dewan Jones, Nick Petit-Friere, Thayer Mumford, and I don't care, plug in whoever you want. Luke Weipler actually impressed me this year. So I, I, it is what it is. But here's why Justin Fry is going to come in. And I will tell you this, I've worked with Justin Fry for, oh, I don't know, four years? I think either way, he was one of my best friends. Haven't talked to him in a while and I won't talk to him through this transition until he, if he does get named the offensive line coach, then I will reach out and congratulate him. But here's why Justin, you want Justin Fry to be the, the offensive line coach. I've, I've seen things on Twitter. Like he doesn't impress me as a recruiter. Just stop. Just stop. My resume as a recruiter before I got to Ohio state might not have impressed you either. Right, although I did bring in NFL players at Marshall and Temple, you know, you, you look at stars and commitments that, that doesn't matter. None of that matters. Now, if the guy, if, if if Justin Fry was at Notre Dame or LSU or Alabama, then maybe you could look at it. But you don't understand what it means to have that block O on your chest. You walk into high school immediately, a recruit is impressed when he sees that logo. So different than UCLA or Boston College. And Justin is an un, here's what he is. He's an unbelievable evaluator, coach, and developer. That's what he is. He evaluates and finds, I mean, very, 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 very talented offensive linemen. He, he's the best offensive line coach in the country. And here's, here's what he does. One, he's young. He coaches hard as shit. He's not some soft-ass guy that needs to relate to players. He relates to players great, 
But he coaches hard. He's tough on his players, and his players love him, right? The room respects him at an extremely high level. I mean, like, insane amount of respect he demands and gets from his players. And when he has the block O on his chest, I mean, I've, I know the guy. I don't know how else to, to give you my, my behind-the-scenes and under-the-hood insight. I know the guy as well as you can know someone. I mean, I, he's, he was one of my best friends. He is excellent, at recruiting, his work ethic, how he goes about it, the way he can relate to kids, the way he connects with parents. He's he's going to be excellent. When he comes in, Ohio State probably will recruit the best offensive line class they've recruited since Urban Meyer got hired. I, I'm going to call that shot right now. I've already, I've already been right about everything else, right? Stud got fired. Justin's going to be the lead candidate. Everything else that I predicted has been pretty spot on. So I'm telling you right now, if Justin Fry takes the job, because the job has been offered. If he takes the job, he will sign maybe the next class, the best offensive line ca- class that Ohio State has ever signed. Just take take my word for it. I mean, what, what I, I, you should, if you haven't before, take it now. But that's what, it, he'll be a great recruiter. The run game will be exceptional. He knows it as well as anyone. Pass pro will be excellent. Technique and fundamentals. He is so well organized. And you, t- you talk about an expert, right? You always want an expert. Stud wasn't an expert. He just wasn't. That's not his M.O., right? Justin Fry is an expert at offensive line technique, pass pro, and run game. Expert. And what he's gotten better at as his career's progressed is understanding passing concepts, right, and how and timing and teaching his offensive line timing in the throw game so they can understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and play better. So it, when Justin Fry has announced, I just want everyone to tweet, like, at Menace to Sports called it, what, I don't know, a year ago? Six months ago, I've said it, I don't know, for three years, I think, that Justin Fry would end up in Columbus. And now here we are. Justin Fry should be the guy. And barring something crazy, he will. I think he will be the guy. They may have to give him a co-coordinator title or run game coordinator title. You know, who knows how they're going to how they're gonna entice him to come outside of just money. But I think that happens. That's what I, so had to go on my little rant there just to, one, Call out these people from like 11 Warriors and shit. Like rumor has it. Like, bitch, you don't know who the fuck Justin Fry is. What are you talking about rumor has it? You must listen to the podcast. That's how you heard about it. How would you know who Justin Fry is? Stop that. Just stop it. And not I don't even know if 11 Warriors tweeted that. It was not directed at them. Though I'll take shots at 11 Warriors all day long. Um, I just saw a bunch of people uh, tweeting on my timeline about rumor has it. A lot of smoke. It's like, yeah, okay. You listen to the podcast. Shut up. And thank you for listening. Honestly, thanks for listening. Also, other news, the other shot that I, I called, and, and I'm, I'm not disappointed in the Jim Knowles hire at all. I think it was a great hire, A++. Like, I'm not even saying I would switch it out for this, but DJ Durkin, leaving Ole Miss to go to A&M. And I've told you what I, my thoughts on him. Um, and again, another guy I know, but, but now watch out. That guy's going to run the defense at Texas A&M with them paying $30 million to sign the, the, one of the best classes, recruiting classes in the history of recruiting. Uh, just watch out. They're going to sign seven five-stars this year. They're going to be so loaded in two years. In 2023, Texas A&M will, be, will set the pace in the SEC, in my opinion, because of the moves they're making. They're capitalizing on NIL. They just went out and got, who, in my opinion, one of the top three defensive coordinators in the United States of America. Texas A&M, is, is, they, know, they know the mission now. LSU's down. Ole Miss is Ole Miss. It's Lane Kiffin, but it's, 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 it's always they're, – they're, about what they're always going to be under Lane Kiffin. Explosive offensively, not really a threat in the West, but they could beat you at any time, no matter who you are, right? That's what Ole Miss is. 
So it's really A&M is in an arms race with Alabama to try to become the chief of the West, right? Jimbo knows he's making all that money and in in Texas A&M and he's got to go he's got to go beat Nick Saban, right? And not only he beat Nick Saban this year, not only does he need to beat him, but he needs to go to the SEC championship game. Nick Saban needs to be sitting at home the first Saturday in December because of Texas A&M. That's what has to happen. And what did they do? They got the boosters to raise the money. They're estimating that cost to be 25 to $30 million to sign this class they just signed. And then they went out and got DJ Durkin to run the defense, right? The offense has got to improve. A&M will be right there with Alabama. It'll be a three-team conference, in my opinion, you know, barring something changing at Florida or uh, really that's it. Florida's the only other one that I think could contend. Um, Tennessee, I guess. Tennessee's got a shot. Hendon Hooker's coming back. I could see Tennessee getting in the mix in the East in two years. But, I mean, it, A&M's making a push, man. They're, they're, they're utilizing the transfer portal and NIL to, to leverage it. And that's just what they're doing. But other news before we get to these games, uh, Marcus Williamson just will not stop. Will he? He won't stop. And I already, ta- I already mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've invited him on. He's welcome to come on. I would love to have him on. I think it would be great for him to come on this show because I'm, I have a good relationship with him. We have no animosity, never have, not once. And I think it would be great for him to come on and we can talk about it all and shed light on the issues he had, which which is what he wants, obviously, right? He's out there publicly tweeting all this stuff. He wants the, I don't know about t- attention. He wants the light shed on this. So come on the show. Let's shed the light. But it's not going to be an easy conversation. So as I mentioned, tweet at Marcus and tell him to come on. Uh, but now he's leaving reviews on a website, or a, a, I don't even know if it's a website. It's a Twitter thing called Official Visit. It's like it's like uh, Yelp for recruiting. Like players and, and recruits can go on and leave five star reviews uh, on coaches, on a school. It's kind of an interesting uh, concept. And this is what they wanted, right? I would imagine, not imagine. I'm, I'm sure he's getting he he got a, an NIL deal, or he's getting paid by Official Visit dot com or whatever their website is because he's leaving reviews on there about Ohio State, about Kerry Combs, about Matt Barnes, and he's basically like giving his opinion. Like if if, if you wanted to know where he where he was at, right? What his thoughts were more specifically than his cryptic tweets where he didn't mention anyone, he left full on reviews right there for you. And uh, let me pull up those reviews. Where are they? So here's a couple of them. Right? He. Uh, oh no, that's not it. So for on Kerry Combs, so if you thought Kerry Combs was the issue, he, he gave him a four-star review. Kerry is like Uber. Kerry is a four-star Uber driver. <laughs> he said he is passionate and caring. He is very technique-oriented and family-oriented. He goes above and beyond for his players. So Kerry got a four-star. That's good, Kerry. You might get uh, picked more often as one of the Uber drivers of the year. And then, uh, oh, Matt Barnes, two-star review. His review on Matt Barnes, he's very limited in his in his knowledge of the game, techniques, and scheme. He is passionate, but a poor teacher. Now listen, Marcus Williamson is a really smart kid. I'm not I'm not gonna knock him because or call him unintelligent because he's very smart. He's very quick witted. He's very everything right. He he is not an unintelligent person. But for Marcus Williamson to challenge Matt Barnes' knowledge of the game, maybe he's a poor teacher. Maybe he's not a great coach. I mean, I could buy that. But knowledge of the game. Ryan Day hired him as the defensive coordinator. Ryan Day knows the game very well. You think Matt Barnes could bullshit his knowledge of the game to Ryan? Come on, man. 
This guy's coached a lot of places. His knowledge of the game is perfectly fine. Now, he may need to work on what he teaches fundamentally. So techniques, I could see. Scheme, I didn't like what they did, so I agree. He's passionate. That's good news. That's a good check. But a poor teacher, that's all fine. But to challenge his knowledge of the game, come on, man. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. So Marcus is leaving uh, Uber reviews on the, on the, the coaches, and he, he left another review I was trying to find on Ohio State that was much more uh, – it was, it was uh, very – you know, well-written and positive about he loves loved Ohio State, great experience, et cetera, et cetera. So Marcus is popping off again, um, and it's time to just he, – he needs to chill out. That's, that's what it is. I don't know what he's – got to think about it like this. I always used to tell my players, when you do something, whatever it is, you take a stance, um, you want to be vocal about something, it doesn't matter if it's, it's, some, it's something that people don't care about, something that people are really passionate about. If, when you want to take a stance, what is your end game, right? Like when I started this podcast – Right, I was, I went, I popped off on social media a bunch because my end game was to get people interested in what I had to say to listen to this show and give me a chance in sports in this sports media avenue, right? This venue. That's what I was trying to do. I'm not really, I'm really not that crazy. I'm like the, some of the stuff I was tweeting about about people are gonna pay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna expose everybody. I mean, I did tell some truths, but it was all to drum up interest in this show because I wanted people to listen. I wanted to tell my story and I wanted to, I didn't know it was going to turn into this, but I wanted to turn this in or, or start a podcast. That's what I wanted to do. And so I had an end game. What is Marcus Williamson's end game? Like, what is he looking for? Is it to get paid from officialvisit.com? I mean, I don't know what he got, a couple hundred bucks, 500, maybe even a thousand. Is that his end game or is his end game to become a college football players advocate, right? Maybe that is it, right? I, I don't know what it is, but my problem is I don't think he knows what it is. And that's where, as, as a human being, if you're going to take a stance on something, what is your end game? Are you trying to institute change, right? Are you trying to expose realities, right, to, to, to inspire change? It's all about change. So is Marcus trying to inspire change? There's not a race issue at Ohio State. I, I, can, I can guarantee that. I mean, hundreds of African-American players have come out and said never once do they feel even an ounce of it, right? Brett McMurphy wrote a, a completely fabricated article saying that I said the N-word and I didn't even have to say anything, do anything. I had read the article and immediately Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, all these players were like going after Brett McMurphy like, whoa, like stop it right there. You can say what you want, but that is false. That is a lie, right? They wouldn't do that to just openly like cover up racism right it's just just whatever anyways marcus i i I think needs to uh think about what his end game is here and come on the show we could talk about his end game but uh i want to talk about the semifinals let's move on to some football um and i'm gonna this is gonna be quicker than normal i'm I'm aiming at about a 35 minute show i think but i want to talk about these games there i probably should have done this earlier in the week because it's a little old news but two of these teams are playing on monday for the national championship Go get your square. Reminder, Venmo, Cameron Media, $100 right now. Get on your phone. Um, so first you look at the Bama-Cincinnati game. I mean, just general thoughts. Cincinnati's defense was outstanding. Uh, Bama's offense struggled a little bit. And Bama's defense absolutely shut down Cincinnati's offense. It's kind of what I said would happen in the preview show, right? I think Cincinnati did a couple of things that were really important, though. Their defense showed, and not only their defense, just th- their team, their performance in that game showed that a group of five team can belong. they Because Cincinnati deserved to be there, more so than Michigan did, right? Cincinnati deserved to be in that playoff. And they proved it on the field, 
And they kind of proved it last year when they played Georgia close too. So that, that is what it is. Now, now we can open the floodgates and say a group of five team, if you study the film and you see a, one of the top teams in college football, give them a chance because Cincinnati hung with Alabama. You look at this game, the real, the only thing Cincinnati did on defense that was sloppy was they had 19 missed tackles. We always go back to missed tackles, right? Cincinnati had 19, Bama had two. Cincinnati lost the game. Imagine that. But Bama's defense just ate that offense up. I mean, Desmond Ritter, who I think is a good player, and all this first-round quarterback stuff, just stop it. Stop it. And it, I'm not saying he's not a good player and an NFL prospect, but first-round quarterback, to me, is an NFL starter. I don't believe he is that. Now, he didn't have any help from the offensive skill, but he's one for five on deep balls. Only He only completed two passes over 10 yards. So offensively, that was a huge problem for Cincinnati. They only completed two passes over 10 yards, 25% completion percentage. He was 33% under pressure. They didn't do a good job in pass pro. He On non-screen passes, so take all the screens out because I think he completed like eight of them. He was had a 44% completion percentage. So it was brutal. A brutal game by the offense. Desmond Ritter did not play well, and he had no help. No offensive skill. None. Not, not to, to play at that level. That was the one area that they were lacking in a big way. I mean, Alec Pierce was their dude, right? That was their stud. Their deep ball guy, not very fast. I don't know why he was a deep ball guy. I guess in the AAC, he could run by some people. More of a jump ball, 50-50 ball, because he was covered a lot this year. He had two catches for 17 yards. Trey Tucker, their dynamic little slot, two catches for 12 yards. Tyler Scott, their other receiver, four catches for 43 yards with the one big 22-yard play uh, on Jalen Armour Davis. And that was their offense, essentially. This just it was a rough day, and Alabama did did their thing. This is what they did. Now Cincinnati's defense was outstanding, other than the tackling issue. Bryce, how about they? They what did they, what was their job? Shut down Bryce Young. Don't let him beat you. Don't let Jameson Williams beat you. And then they were going to have to score some points because you knew Alabama was going to score here or there, right? Bryce Young. He only attempted three passes over ten yards outside the hashes. Say that again. When he threw the ball out over ten yards, he only threw three times outside the hash marks. And he was only two for five in the middle of the field. Never mind that. Now, in the sandbox that I talk about all the time, that that zero to 10 yards in between the hashes, like right in front of him, like literally you could shoot a basketball, a free throw into it. He was, what, 12 of 14 in the sandbox. He was five of 14 everywhere else. So outside of his sandbox, he completed 35.7% of his passes. He was 30% under pressure, 37% versus blitz defense, Bryce Young did not play well, okay? Let's just get that out there. I don't know who's telling you otherwise, but Bryce Young did not play well. He did not dominate the game, and once he lost Mechie, you could see that he needed something else. They did a great job shutting shutting down Jamison Williams. Not shutting him down. They limited him. Seven catches for 62 yards. 8.9 yards per catch. He was averaging 21.3 yards per catch coming into the game. So they absolutely shut down Jameson from taking over the game like he did against Georgia, right? They absolutely shut down Bryce Young and what he did against Georgia. I mean, you look at Jameson Williams versus Sauce Gardner, who's going to be a first-round corner just announced. Uh, two targets, one catch, minus one yards. Checkmark, Cincinnati. Both The cornerback duo played their balls off. Kobe Bryant, the Thorpe Award winner, was targeted five times, two catches for 18 yards. Sauce Gardner targeted four times, three catches, 14 yards. They played outstanding. I mean, Keely Ringo and Darion Kendrick at Georgia gave up 90 yards and a touchdown against, against Alabama. 
Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner outplayed them, outshined them. This is the best corner duo uh, maybe in college football. I mean, probably, right? Sauce is a first-rounder. Kobe just won the Thorpe. I mean, that, that would fit. But what you found out was that was real. That Thorpe award was real. Kobe played really well, and he's going to be a high draft pick. All in all, Luke Fickle's team and defense, I mean, his defense really showed up. Proved that they belonged. Proved that, that Alabama was not this vaunted, unstoppable offense that just took down Georgia's, you know, uh, iron defense is not what it was. That's not what either game was. This Georgia defense is really good. Alabama just exposed them. Cincinnati had a great game plan. Obviously didn't have to deal with Mechie, but at the end of the day, they showed that Alabama and Bryce Young are not, you know, they're, they're not Joe Burrow in 2019. They're not even, you know, Mac Jones in 2020. They're, they're neither. Right. And so this Alabama, we'll get to the preview in a minute, but this Alabama offense can be slowed down and can be stopped. That's the reality of it. And if the other side of the ball, if you could score on Bama, you could beat them. They're beatable. And we already knew that, right? They lost the game. Auburn took them to the wire, a bad Auburn team. But the other semifinal game, God, it was freaking brutal to watch. I mean, that wasn't even fun. It wasn't even enjoyable. And even as I guess I'm an Ohio State guy, I didn't enjoy it. It just made the Big Ten look bad. It made Ohio State look bad. It made everybody look bad, except for Jim Harbaugh, who, you know, afterwards was like what a great season we had we accomplished everything like you have fucking awful goals man awful bar like you make it to the dance you better have one goal to win the whole damn thing and if you don't if you wanted if you're done and you kind of say hey we had a good season i made it to the playoffs i won a big 10 championship like yeah you're the problem you're the problem i mean if you're not trying to be the best in the country you're not trying to win a national championship and, and you're not trying to i mean ohio state loses in the playoffs and the, the offseason is brutal because they have a bad taste in their mouth. Michigan right now is like going to go to a parade through Ann Arbor. Crazy. Now, the vaunted Georgia defense looked back true to form. Only six missed tackles. Michigan had 14, so there you go again. Miss, just, just count missed tackles. That'll tell you who's going to win, right? When we watch Alabama-Georgia, I'm calling it right now. Whoever has the least missed tackles in that game on January 10th wins the game, period. But, I mean, they the dominant run game that Michigan had against pretty much everybody made Ohio State look like they, they were playing 7-on-7 seven seven in, in the run game. 3.3 yards per carry, only had 91 yards. Couldn't run the ball. And I told Michigan's ass, someone tag Jim Harbaugh and tell him to listen to the goddamn show. I told him to play J.J. McCarthy and throw it to Andrew Anthony, didn't I? Cade McNamara attempted four passes over 10 yards. 50% completion percentage, two interceptions, no touchdowns. Only 63 yards. J.J. McCarthy comes in the game in the second half. Yeah, I get it. The game's out of hand. I, I heard all the excuses. He's four for seven over 10 yards. He 114 yards passing and throws a touchdown to Andrew Anthony. Can you imagine, right? I know the game was over, but still, t please tell him to listen to the show because that offensive game plan and performance was awful. And I, I try to tell, what did Alabama do to Georgia to beat him? Bryce Young extended plays. He's more athletic. He got away from the rush. He threw the ball, and Jamison Williams made him pay. Michigan didn't have anybody even close to Jamison Williams. Nobody. And Caden McNamara ain't running away from anyone. I think I honestly I don't think they win the game. I don't think it's that different, but they would have had a better shot with JJ McCarthy. I'm just saying. And they made the switch just too little, too late. But to their credit, they made the switch, right? Now the, now the Georgia offense, they played their best best game of the year. Not even close. 5.4 yards per carry, almost 200 yards rushing. And I told, I, I try to tell you, the, the team up north, the Michigan secondary was, is, was cooked turkey. They were not good. They, they got masked as good by the media, I think, because the Ohio State game went the way it went, but they didn't cover 
Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, or Jackson Smith and Jigba well at all, ever. I mean, DJ Turner cooked with hot grease. Four catches on five targets. Daxton Hill, two catches on two targets. And Vincent Gray was the fish. They found the fish. Two targets, two catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, so make a t-shirt. Every time they throw it at Vincent Gray, it's a touchdown, right? 100% touchdown percentage when you attack Vincent Gray. And then the the linebacker, Jalen Harrell, number 32, got scorched. I mean, he just got scorched. The pass defense was horrendous. And Stetson Bennett was a little baller. He was. He balled out. So when you look at this national championship game, um, this is an interesting stat that a listener sent me uh, from Cole Kubilek, whoever that is. I don't know who that is, but he he put it out. Alabama statistically has a better rush defense, better third down defense. They have more sacks, more tackles for loss, and more interceptions than Georgia's defense. And Georgia's faced five top 30 offenses. Alabama's faced seven of the top 30 offenses. So it's an interesting stat. I mean, Georgia has a better defense. I've watched the film. But that is interesting to tell you that Alabama's had to deal with a little more firepower than Georgia has. So to look towards, I guess, the future. To predict the future, you must look behind you, right? Look in the past. These teams just played a month ago, right? It'll be like 30, 34 days or something like that since they last played. They just played. This was not a midseason matchup. This is not a different team, right? Sometimes the team plays week four and they rematch in the playoffs or they could rematch. And it's like in a bowl game. And you look at it and say, yeah, that, that, was, that was three months ago. It's a completely different team. This is not. What happened in that game? Georgia was awful on offense. Stetson Bennett threw two interceptions and they fell apart defensively in the second quarter. That's what happened. That's how they lost the way they lost. 24 points given up in the second quarter alone. If they didn't have that bad quarter, that game is a dogfight and Georgia might win. Stetson Bennett played his worst game of the year through two picks and, and could, they couldn't move the ball. And it was just, it was those two things caused the, the 17 point victory. And let's not act like it was a blowout. It was not, right? So you look at this game. When Alabama has the ball against this this vaunted Georgia defense that was the best we've ever seen, then looked awful, and now they're back to the best we've ever seen. You know, it's like a roller coaster with this fucking team. We'll see if they're up or down. In that C championship game, they had 22 pressures on Bryce Young and zero sacks. This has to be different. They have to get him on the ground. They have to keep him in the pocket and get him down on the ground, right? 22 pressures and zero sacks ain't going to cut it. Cincinnati, shit, Cincinnati got home twice. They sacked him twice. Georgia has to sack Bryce Young, that's what has to happen. Jameson Williams hit Keeley Ringo for a 55-yard touchdown, but outside of that, all of his production in that game, seven catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns, take out that one catch, was against Georgia's safeties and slot corners. He didn't go against Darian Kendrick and Keeley Ringo and, and just beat their ass in. Don't make no mistake about it. So I, ex- I expect Georgia to attack Bama in a similar fashion to Cincy. Take away Jameson Williams, keep Bryce Young in the pocket. Don't let him scramble. Don't let him beat you with his legs. Make him throw the ball. And make, honestly, make Bama run the ball against that front. Right? Because Alabama had some success running the ball in the SEC Championship game uh, the the first time. 4.4 yards per carry. And I anticipate they'll lean on that heavier. Especially after rushing for over 300 yards against Cincinnati in this new uh, Mechie-less offense. Right? They're going to run the ball more than they have all year and than they did the last time. Because John Mechie's out. Right? He had surgery after he got hurt against uh, against Georgia. But honest to God, if you could send this clip to the Georgia defensive coordinator, to Kirby Smart, whoever you want to send it to, please make Bryce Young throw the football outside of the hashes. Make him throw it to the sideline. Cheat inside. Jump in breaking routes. Make him throw it out there. 
19 of his 25 completions the last time these two teams played in the SEC Championship game were in the middle of the field. 19 of 25. That's almost 80% of his completions. Make him throw it outside. And you look at this Alabama offense, and one thing to look at on both sides of the ball, and this is not that uncommon, but in 11 personnel, when they have one running back and one tight end, that's what 11 means, right? The first number is running number of running backs. Second number is number of tight ends, right? So if you're not familiar with football or and you're, you're watching the game, you can say, oh, that's 11 personnel because you see one running back, one tight end in the game, right? 64% pass. And Alabama is in 11 personnel three times as much as they are in 12 personnel, two tight ends, which is 60% run. So it flips from pass heavy to run heavy. And I think it's interesting to note that they are in 11 three times as much as 12. So 75% of the time, they're in 11 personnel. Uh, then you flip the other side of the ball. Alabama defense against Georgia's offense. Uh, the, the, the biggest thing of note, I think, is that Josh Job won't play this time around because he played in, in the SEC championship game, got hurt, had to have surgery, and he's obviously out for the game. The question will be, who's going to play opposite and perform up to that level opposite of good old Kool-Aid McKinnistry? His name is Kool-Aid, right? K-O-O-L hyphen A-I-D. Kool-Aid. That is actually his fucking name. His parents named him fucking Kool-Aid. Can you believe that? I want to name my kids. I name my kids normal stuff like Cameron, Luke, Liliana, Quinn. I should have done some shit like Kool-Aid, like Pop Rocks. Good old Pop Rocks Smith. Can you imagine? Kool-Aid. I love. I, I, hey, I'm a fan of this kid and his parents. That's fucking awesome. So in in the the bowl game um, against uh, against Cincinnati, Jalen Armour Davis and Kyrie Jackson were the two guys that played. Kyrie played really well against Cincinnati, but. They stink against offensive skill. Jalen Armour Davis didn't play well, but Cincinnati doesn't have any guys. They they don't they don't have any skill. Uh, Stetson Bennett was awful under pressure last time they played. I think he had a ten percent completion percentage when last time he had to go against Georgia's defense in the SEC championship game. That needs to change dramatically in this game for Georgia to win. Now what they did to Bama because of Bama's pass rush ability and Will Anderson Jr., who's the best defensive end in the United States of America. I will say it again. I don't know how many times we need to say it. What they did was they screened the shit out of him. I mean, they had eight screens, eight for eight, 77 yards, and two of their three passing touchdowns were on screen plays. So expect that to happen again and expect Bamba to be ready for it. So they're going to have to have a different game plan. Now you look at personnel, 11 personnel for Georgia's offense, one back, one tight end, is only 54% pass, so almost 50-50. And they are in 11 and 12 personnel half the time. So there's not a dramatic difference like Alabama has. When they're in 12 personnel with two tight ends, they're 61% run. So heavy run with two tight ends on the field. 11 personnel, they do both. Obviously, they don't throw it that much. That's part of the reason why. So how do you win this game? How does Georgia take down Alabama? How does Kirby Smart get the Nick Saban monkey off of his back? It's really simple. They have to do what Cincinnati did on defense. Are they capable? Absolutely. Do they have the corner Cincinnati did? No, but they're better up front, right? They'll get after Bryce Young more. Take Jamison Williams and make him a possession receiver. He needs to average nine yards a catch. He can't average 18 yards a catch or you lose. Simple. That's the first thing. That has to happen. They have to keep Bryce Young in the pocket and throwing the ball. Make him throw it downfield. Make him be a passer. Make him do what C.J. Stroud did in the Rose Bowl. Show us that you can throw the ball at an elite level to win the game. That's what they have to do, right, on defense. That's it. And then if they can create some turnovers, that's just icing on the cake. If they do those two things then Alabama's going to have to run the ball, and they're the best front seven in college football. Come on. Come on, Kirby. That's not that hard. On the other side of the ball, 
They have to find a way. Well, first of all, they can't just give him the ball. Stetson Bennett cannot throw two interceptions. He cannot give Alabama extra possessions. You're not going to beat Nick Saban in the national championship game gifting him the ball twice. It's not going to happen. So they need to protect the football. They've been great at, at, at not fumbling the ball in the run game, right, with Zamir White and and uh, James Cook and, and uh, uh, Kenny McIntosh. They've been great. Kenny McIntosh has turned into a dynamic receiver out of the backfield. Uh, they, they have a three-headed monster in, in the backfield that are just outstanding. They have to employ them properly. Use them in the pass game, right? I, I, I love the screens. Now we're going to need some double screens. We're going to need some plays downfield a little bit to those guys and attack the linebackers who are, who are Bama's weakness, in my opinion. And honestly, their corner can be, right? We got to see if Kyrie Jackson can play. I know he was a really high, highly rated recruit, but we got to see if he can play. So that's what they need to start by doing. Don't give Alabama the ball. And then Stetson Bennett has to run around. He has to be lightning in a bottle. He has to go take the game by the nuts. He's not going to throw it to win the game. He's, he's like a little, a little guy running around, right? He's not going to drop back and look like fucking Matt Stafford from back in the day and just dice up Bama, tossing the ball through the air. It's not going to happen. So let's run the ball, have a creative game plan, and he needs to take off and scramble. Go watch him play against Tennessee. That's the player that needs to show up for Dog Nation to win the national championship. And I'm calling my shot. I think that Kirby Smart kicks the monkey off of his back, beats Nick Saban to steal the national championship that he lost a couple years ago in the fourth quarter on a cover two hole shot to Devontae Smith. I think Kirby gets the monkey off his back and wins the national championship. I'm calling a Georgia win, and I I think that it is going to be one of the better games of the year. I'm excited for this one. You know, I wasn't excited for the semifinal matchups. I was excited to see what Cincinnati would do. I hoped that Michigan would perform better, but I'm excited for this one. And honestly, let's 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 give Nick Saban a, a, a little humble pie. <laughs> so that's my prediction. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, that's my analysis on the game. I did go over 40 minutes, so I guess it's more standard for the show. But uh, shoot me your thoughts on Twitter. Let's do this. Give me your opinion. Who's going to win the national championship? I want to know. Who do you think? At Menace to Sports, tell me who's going to win it and why. Not just who's going to win it, but why will they win it? That's what I want to know. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're entertained. Hope you learned one thing, that when you're watching the game, you can say, damn it, Zach said that. That's, that's my whole goal. And if do me a favor, text one friend the link to this show and say, listen to this. You got to hear this before you, listen, you watch the game. So appreciate everybody. Menace Nation, you are the best. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate you. And if you didn't like it, as we say, go fuck yourself, San Diego. What a hit. Denzel Ward. You got barbecue back there and you didn't invite me. Hurt my feelings. You'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting. I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. Braxton Miller, loose spin You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. He'll run it after the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Lucky for me, the press can barely speak English. But they are who we thought they were. Well, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Well, then get the fuck out of here then. Okay, see ya.